Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, in today's statistics episode. We reap the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. That's right. Uh, today's episode is about the newest entry into the Harry Potter film universe. Uh, this is the 10th film after eight Harry Potter films and the first Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. We have Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, one of the biggest... Uh, fallouts after the first Fantastic Beast movie was the reveal that uh, a character played predominantly by Colin Farrell throughout the film uh, is actually Grindelwald and is Johnny Depp. And there were a lot of people who weren't pleased by this reveal, uh, either primarily because Colin Farrell, who does a great job in the first Fantastic Beast movie, uh, they wanted him to continue. They wanted to see him cont- uh, exist longer as his character, uh, as, I suppose, Grindelwald. And as someone who, you know, I, I'm I'm not, I'm a fan. I like Johnny Depp as an actor, so I was excited to see him take on this character. But from a plot standpoint, from a logical standpoint, I don't know, it, it, it's a lot easier in the in a ma- in the in the sense of the world that the people around him, a, a Colin Farrell's character who works in the Ministry of Magic in the United States, wouldn't recognize him as Grindelwald if he looked different. That just makes sense. So to reconstructure things such that uh, he looked like himself while he was pretending to be somebody else is a little odd. So I, I think from that standpoint, you had to have a character who was played by one actor for the most of this first movie and revealed to be somebody else at the end. Uh, who those people were, it could be anybody, but based on the, the setup that we get in, this, in the first movie, that's kind of what had to happen if that's the way that the plot was going to go. So... Uh, my going into this movie, my initial expectations, my hopes, were that Depp would do a really good job as Grindelwald and all would be forgiven. Now, we'll get into this a little bit later uh, as we get into the actor's page of the spreadsheet, but uh, I will say up front that he was by far. Uh, far and away not the worst part of this movie. Uh, He does an adequate job, and uh, I think the problems lie elsewhere, is I guess how I will preface this. Um, Spoilers for Crimes of Grindelwald, there will not be any until maybe when I talk about the individual actors themselves, uh, but I will give warning before that happens. The movie's been out for almost two weeks now, so... Probably the people who wanted to see it already saw it, but 
in the in, in the very rare in the rare case that you haven't, I as I said will make sure to warn you if spoilers are going to come. So let's head over to the actual stats. Uh, Fantastic Beasts: colon, The Crimes of Grindelwald. I saw it November twenty second. I did rewatch the first film prior to seeing this one to give myself a little better ease into into the story. Uh, it's about 126 minutes, a little over two hours, uh, subtracting the credits, which is fine, you know, that's, there are Harry Potter movies longer than that. It's a 2018 film. My brief summary is, the greatest criminal in the wizarding world escapes custody and mounts a movement to bring wizards out of the shadows, which, um, so, so that, so Grindelwald's mission statement in this film is wizards hide from the rest of the world when they are more powerful and are rightful rulers because of their power and because of their abilities, which uh, the, the manner in which he goes about presenting this argument isn't necessarily perfect, but there is some truth to the fact that why are wizards kind of like scuttling around in the gutter when they have these incredible abilities and so on and so forth? And there's allusions to uh, the past being not so great for wizards kind uh, relative to muggles and whatever other term you want to use for muggles. But on the surface, I, I think there's a lot of mean worthwhile elements to his crusade i i think and i don't think the movie does a good job of of getting to that point but i think there's a lot of good stuff in this argument that doesn't get explored and that's kind of shame hopefully if there's a third and fourth and fifth movie and there should be at least a third one i would guess uh, that can be uh you know delved into deeper but it was real it's really frustrating because you know your villain as we have seen many many times in marvel movies and harry potter and um I don't know, hunger games you know all these kind of ya-ish you know preteen to teenager movies the villain is so so vital to the, the success of the story and there's a reason that, you know, Voldemort is a successful villain. He's not the most successful villain, but he's got a very good name. He has a very defined uh, desire, and it, it comes across in the films exactly what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And, you know, he is powerful enough to, you know, make what he wants happen. Grindelwald through two films, is not Voldemort's equal as a villain. He is clearly powerful. Uh, that much is, is, is obvious. But his desire is, is very shallow in the sense that we don't really have a lot of details for it. And the character of Grindelwald is very undefined. Uh, what we know about him doesn't really shine through in the movie. And 
it's tough to say whether or not we can really credit everything that Colin Farrell does in the first movie to Grindelwald's character because he was playing a role. And I think the most you can really say about him through the first movie is he can pretend to be other people. So there's some definitely some kinks that need to be worked out in this film. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes currently has a 40% for Crimes of Grindelwald. I've given it a 33. So this is uh, a huge step down from the first one, which has a 59 from me, and is easily the weakest film in the Harry Potter world because the first Fantastic Beasts is the second weakest. Uh, it is a member of the Fantastic Beasts series. It is the second film in that series and weakest of the two, uh, with an average rating of 46 between the of the series, and the total length of the series is 4.37 hours. Uh, as part of the Harry Potter world, it is the 10th film out of 10. It drops the average rating of Harry Potter movies to 73. It increases the length of the entire franchise to a full day. It has now hit 24 hours on the news. Uh, so that's, you know, that's something. That's that's definitely something. Anyway, moving on to the director. And things start to get hairy. So, director of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, is none other than David Yates. If you don't know who David Yates is, he directed the first Fantastic Beasts. He also directed the final four films in the Harry Potter series, Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and both Part 1 and Part 2 of Deathly Hallows. Uh, the only other film of his I've seen is Legend of Tarzan. So this is the seventh film of his I've seen. It drops his average film rating to a 61 even. It is his only film rated between 25 and 49 and sixth best movie overall, coming in behind the first Fantastic Beasts, coming in ahead of The Legend of Tarzan. He has a value of 2, a score of 49.44, and is ranked 209th overall, one spot behind Joseph von Sternberg, who directed The Scarlet Empress, The Last Command, and Shanghai Express, Oscar-nominated for Shanghai Express. And he's one spot ahead of Simon Wells, who directed An American Tale, Five Goes West, Balto, The Prince of Egypt, We're Back, exclamation point, a dinosaur story. David Yates, in my opinion, is one of the two critical problems with, with this franchise and where it's headed. I, he took over at Order, with Order of the Phoenix, the fifth film in the Harry Potter franchise, and I, I thought it was great. I, I really enjoy Order of the Phoenix. It's pretty much uh, the true beginning of the end game of the series for Harry Potter. Uh, we do get to see Voldemort at the end of the fourth movie, but in the fifth movie, we really get to see Voldemort, the Death Eaters, the, the Order of the Phoenix, as the title implies, really clash, come together. There's Sirius's death that uh, adds a huge weight onto Harry, and it just everything sort of begins in the end game with Order of the Phoenix. It's the second to last uh, film that takes place during the year at school, so I really like Order of the Phoenix. What happens though is with each progressive film, and I wouldn't say that they're progressively worse from that point on, but I would say that they get progressively darker. 
And yes, the franchise matures as it gets to the sixth and seventh books, but the color palette in five, in four even, the color palette in Goblet of Fire is vibrant, it's lush, you have Durmstrang and Bowbattens, you have a wealth of colorful characters in that film and colors themselves. Then you get to Order the Phoenix, and the colors start to drop out a little. Half-Blood Prince is, you know, very, very drab and dull, as it should be with Dumbledore's death. And then you get to the Deathly Hallows films, and there's it's like almost black and white. Uh, it's, it's really almost just black and white. And I don't... I think less so the the fault of the characters and the actors that portray them. It's this dull and gray atmosphere that really drives the franchise, in my opinion, down. I think Deathly... I, a lot of people think Deathly Hallows Part Two is the best of the franchise or one of the best of the franchise. I don't. I think it's one of the worst, weakest of the franchise. The same with Half-Blood Prince. I think both of those, relative to the rest of the Harry Potter movies, are bad. I think they really struggle to capture the feelings in Harry Potter that we've spent five... We had five really good movies to get us into this world and they did a fantastic job and they matured as the kids matured with Christopher Columbus and it just it just doesn't I don't know you just you get to this point and all of a sudden it's a huge drop as suddenly you know you can't you know, someone's red shirt shows up as barely like gray maroon because of the color palette established by Yates so when he brought on Fantastic Beasts, there was a little more color there. We were establishing a new world. Uh, you know, he ha the work had not been done for him already, the same way it had when he took over for Harry Potter. And so the first first Fantastic Beast, you know, Yates pulling out these creatures, these wonderful animals. You know, the trip into Newt's suitcase in the first movie was beautiful and wonderful, and I loved seeing all those creatures, and that was fun. And then we get to Crimes of Grindelwald, and it's right back to drab, dreary, colorless. You know, your main character, in theory, is Newt Scamander, who is a magizoologist who cares about animals and wants to care for animals and protect them and help them. And yet your movie is just... Again, it's black and white. There's no, there's very little emotion. There's very little vibrance. It, it just, it really just reeks of being unable to connect with the audience. Uh, you know, a character like Ezra Miller's is really tough to get on board with. Uh, even at its basest level, and yet when you and then when you you tack on top of that, the of an incredibly cold palette of color for this film, it's, it's you know it's it's impossible. How do you connect with a character like that when there's no semblance of the real world 
at all. You know, there's no... It doesn't even feel like what's happening in these movies is possible to have been happening in the shadows, you know, in New York City or, you know, France or wherever they go to. And I think the 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 uniting factor between of all this stuff is David Yates and I just I'm not a fan I'm not a fan all right moving on to writing moving on to writing uh, only one credited writer uh, on on the film and that is JK Rowling author of all the Harry Potter books this is her 10th film credit. It drops her average film rating to a 73 even. It is her first film rated between 25 and 49 and worst film overall, coming in behind the first Fantastic Beasts. She has a value of 9.5, a score of 70.33, and is ranked 33rd overall. So, here, here's the other thing. Rowling is the only writer credited on the on the Fantastic Beasts films. No one else helped her with them, uh, which is not the case in Harry Potter. Uh, she is the foremost authority on uh, the films, and I, I think she did a great job with the Harry Potter books. Books. Uh, and then she comes over to Fantastic Beasts and Crimes of Grindelwald, and we have all these new characters. We've, we're giving life to Newt Scamander and Grindelwald. And we're introduced to Catherine Waterston and Alison Sudol and Dan Fogler. You know, we have a movie that finally has, like, a protagonist who's a muggle, which is kind of crazy. You know, we have American characters in our Harry Potter, which is strange. You know, we get to Crimes of Grindelwald and we get back and we see Dumbledore. You know, he's in the trailer. We have Dumbledore now. That's cool. That's exciting. There are so many blatant, obvious, and disappointing plot holes in this movie. And uh, when the person writing it literally wrote the book on all the other films in this franchise, and yet just completely ignores the things that she'd written before, that there's a huge, huge problem there. And I'll get into some of these plot holes as we go through the actors and how they relate to these characters. But, man, it's it's really... Like, the, the original stories had their own plot holes, but they weren't, you know, as blatant as what's going on in this film. And it's, it's, it's a... Ooh, it's not good. So, yeah, Rowling, yeah, not great. But let's move on to the actors. So, warning now, I am going to go through each of the characters that each person is uh, playing and my thoughts on their impact on the film. There is a chance that spoilers take place, and um, I'm not going to put the spoiler bumper, but I'm warning you now. I'm going to try to be vague, but there's a chance. There's a chance if you haven't seen the movie. So, moving on. Quite a few names, but we'll start at the top with 
Mr. Jude Law. This is the 29th film of his I've seen. It drops his average film rating to a 58.28. It is the fifth film of his, rated between 25 and 49, and 25th best movie overall, coming in behind Dom Hemingway and ahead of My Blueberry Nights. It drops his value to a 5.5, his score to a 60.02, and he is ranked 477th overall, one spot behind Brian Doyle Murray, and one spot ahead of Richard Jenkins. Jude Law plays young Dumbledore. These films take place in the late 20s. Uh, That would make Dumbledore about 80. And Jude Law is 46. So there's that. Uh, He wears a, you know, like a, you know, pretty fashionable clothing that do not at all resemble robes which he wears as himself later on, 70 years uh, in the future from when these take place. It's another thing. I mean, all of them do uh, to a degree. But, or at least at the school, it's strange how his fashion could kind of regress in that way. But, okay, fine. Uh, He is... um, as Dumbledore, so so removing these silliness, the silliness away from it, as a young Dumbledore, I thought Jude Law was fine. You know, he he has some of us some similar sensibilities. He's younger, so you you do get to feel that sort of mischievous. You know, he's always been a character that felt like he had more control over everything than anyone else does, particularly the Ministry of Magic, and that definitely shines through here as well. But, on the whole, I was, I mean, he's not in the movie as long as I think a lot, most of us wanted him to be, but he really doesn't feel like Dumbledore the way Richard Harris did, and even, you know, Michael Gambone felt like Dumbledore more than Jude Law, so I, I, don't, I don't know you know, hashtag not my Dumbledore or whatever, but, you know, it's it's a far cry from, from the wise old wizard that we meet in the Harry Potter series, and personally. <clears throat> Next up is Johnny Depp. This is the 52nd film credit that I've seen for him. It drops his average film rating to a 55.63. It is his 13th film, rated between 25 and 49, and 40th best movie overall coming in behind from hell and ahead of Donald Trump's The Art of the Deal, the movie. Uh, <clears throat> he plays Grindelwald, and he's okay. He's, he's perfectly adequate as Grindelwald. Uh, he's not as good as Grindelwald as Jude Law is as Dumbledore, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's entirely unconvincing as a villain. Uh, he's perfectly fine as, like, there's an opening sequence in the film, when, which is his escape from custody. And I thought that went well. I thought that was pretty solid. He, he shows his skills and abilities and, uh, you know, ways to, to slip out from under and someone else's control. But after that, <clears throat> I just... <clears throat> it just doesn't feel as though things went in a direction where his character was given enough to do. And 
you know, we're quote unquote building him up as a, as a villain. Fine, you know, small steps, but he doesn't have emotion. Like again, you know, big problem with the Yates style of filmmaking. He has no emotion. I I don't know how he feels about things. I don't know what his desires are. I don't know why he desires what he wants. I don't know if he cares about these people that work with him or if he doesn't. It seems like he doesn't care about anything. And the villain needs to care. Whether or not they're right, whether or not they're good or or they're they're you know just misguided, they need to care about the thing they're doing and it doesn't feel that way. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Uh, next up is Katherine Waterston. This is her 15th film credit. It drops her average film rating to a 59 even. It is her third film, rated between 25 and 49, and 14th best movie overall, coming in behind Last Supper and ahead of Taking Woodstock. Katherine Waterston uh, returns as Tina. Uh, Tina Goldstein, uh, who is the sort of romantic interest to Newt in the first film. And... Uh, events have taken place in the second film to strain that relationship. She is Queenie's sister. Uh, she has been she was restored to her post as an R in the first film at the end, and now is off R-ring around the world, which is great. And that's kind of how she and Newt kind of bump into each other again. Uh, felt convenient uh, as it is. Uh, I thought the. In- She's the thir- fourth of the main uh, quartet from the first film to be returned to the screen. And I liked that. I thought that made sense. Uh, that ordering of of, success- of of characters returning. But I said this in, I, kind of offhandedly in my review of the first movie on Letterboxd after rewatching it. I wish the movie was just about her. I wish she was the main character. And I get and her sister. I wish they were the main characters, because Newt, the reason he's involved in these movies at all is Dumbledore. It's the only reason. Uh, and he doesn't even want to be involved in these movies in the plots and and events therein. Tina actively wants to be involved in this this crap, and her job as an R, and you know obviously the events of the first film notwithstanding, her her job as an R puts her in the exact path of this plot. It puts her on a collision, collision course with Grindelwald in one way or another. So, feels like a much better main character. I like Catherine Marshall. I think she's good. I think she does a good job with this character, with Tina. Uh, I just wish it was about her. Next up is Zoe Kravitz. This is her 18th film credit. Drops her average film rating, 2050.22. It is her 7th film, rated between 25 and 49. And 14th best movie overall, coming in behind Insurgent and ahead of Vincent and Roxy. Drops her value to a negative 4. Her score to 41.2. And she is ranked 2,444th overall. Tied with Janine Garofalo. One spot behind Wilford Brimley. And one spot ahead of Lake Bell. Zoe Kravitz plays, I, she's a Lestrange, she's Letta Lestrange, 
and I don't even know how to get into that family tree because it's already convoluted and the movie does not make it any easier to parse through. Um, yeah, so uh, that being said, uh, I didn't like her inclusion in the film. I thought Zoe Kravitz was like, okay, but I thought her entire arc was unnecessary. I think her character was unimportant. She's completely a misdirect, and if you pull her out of the film, it just makes it simpler and easier to digest. So, yeah, not a fan. Next up is Carmen Ajogo. This is her 12th film credit. It drops her average film rating to a 49.25. It is her third film rating between 25 and 49, and 10th best movie overall, coming in behind Pride and Glory and Head of the Purge, colon, Anarchy, drops her film value to a negative 3.5, her score to a 38.71, and she is ranked 2,798th overall, one spot behind Patrick Wilson, one spot ahead of John Cenatiempo. Carmen Ajogo reprises her role from the first film as Serafina Pickery. She is the ministress of magic in America, in New York, uh, something like that. She gets like one scene, two scenes maybe, uh, kind of unimportant, doesn't really count. Moving on. Um, Next up is Jamie Campbell Bauer. This is his eighth film credit. Drops his average film rating to a 44.38. It's his third film, rated between 25 and 49, and sixth best movie overall. Coming in behind Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 1, and ahead of Twilight Saga, New Moon. It drops his value to a negative 4, his score to a 31.5, and he's ranked 3,603rd overall, one spot behind Kate Micucci, and one spot ahead of Justin Timberlake. Jamie Campbell Bauer reprises his role as young Dumbledore. Is he reprising it? I feel like he did this once before. He played a young Dumbledore. I could be wrong. I'm going to look it up if I can. Here we go. I could have sworn there was like an image of him as young Dumbledore once before. But maybe I'm wrong. No, he was. Oh, or not young Dumbledore, young Grindelwald, my mistake, young Grindelwald. And it was, in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, he played young Grindelwald as well. So, yeah, there is, that does make sense. Um, yeah, he doesn't have a line and is irrelevant in the course of the film. Moving on, next up is Dan Fogler. This is the 13th film credit of Dan Fogler's. It drops his average film to a 44.15. It is his fifth film, rated between 25 and 49, and 10th best movie overall. Coming in behind Freebirds, coming in ahead of Barely Lethal. Uh, drops his value to a negative 7.5, his score to a 30.77, and his rank is 3,672nd overall. One spot behind Stacey Travis, one spot ahead of Laura Pulver. Dan Fogler is perhaps the most charming character in the franchise or in the Fantastic Beasts series. Uh, he actually... I was surprised. I wasn't expecting a lot from him, particularly in the second film. Uh, again, his whole memory thing. Don't understand that, but okay. He, um, you know, he's just a nice guy who does good things, and, and he's good. He's good. He's just a nice, nice, good person. And his impact on this film is drastically different from his impact on the first one. He is 
really out of his element. And why and how a muggle is ever going to help against Grindelwald? I don't know. I'm not sure what the plan is there. But, uh, yeah, at least in the first one, it felt like he wasn't... I don't know, he was caught up in this, the events that were going on, and, you know, he, he knew opened up this life to him, and he took to it very easily, so who knows? Uh, now it seems like he's kind of just tagging along and in the way, unfortunately. Next up is Ezra Miller. This is his 10th film credit. Drops his average film range to a 42.5. It is his 7th best movie, coming in behind After School and ahead of Suicide Squad. Uh, drops his value to a negative 6, his score to a 29.42, and he is ranked 3,794th overall, one spot behind John Glazer, one spot ahead of Oaks Fegley. Ezra Miller. Oh boy. Um. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, I, I hate this character so much. Hated him in the first movie, hate him in this movie, I hate the reveals around him, I hate how much the plot revolves around him, I don't understand why they created this obscurious, obscurial thing. It seems unnecessary. I don't... Like, Grindel, like Grindelwald isn't powerful enough. He needs this weird-ass black goo cloud to, to help him. He thinks this is the only thing that could, could... He has a reason for wanting it that he states in the movie that doesn't... I don't buy. I think that there are definite reasons... Other ways he could accomplish his goal without something like this. Uh, it's a world of magic, so you really have... You know, sky's the limit. This, uh, you know, basically only enhances the dark, dreary atmosphere of the film, and I'm, I don't want any part of it. And the reveal is, is really just awful. It's really awful. Next up is Eddie Redmayne as Newt Scamander. This is his 12th film credit. Drops his average film rating to a 43.58. Is his 8th, uh, 4th film rated between 25 and 49 and 8th best movie overall. Coming in behind his voice role in Early Man and ahead of The Good Shepherd. It drops his value to a negative 9.5. His score to a 27.86 and he's ranked 3,931st overall. One spot behind Cecily Strong. One spot ahead of Morgan Turner. And Eddie Redmayne as Newt's commander. I hear praise for him as this guy. He's fine. I, I don't particularly like Eddie Redmayne in anything, to be honest. Uh, certainly not. I mean, certainly not this. And he is, uh, you know, he's just back at his own things. He's resisting every attempt to involve him in the central conflict of the story, which is not what you want your protagonist to do. Uh, you know, they should never say no to all the questions that you ask them to, all the things you want them to do throughout the course of your plot, and that's just poor writing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, the beasts that he controls and, like, seeing him take care of the beasts, we got another scene of that, which I liked. But this film is quickly turning into not Fantastic Beasts, and I'm, I don't know, it feels like it's uh, losing interest, just losing interest. Next up is Claudia Kim. This is her third film credit, drops her average showing to a 43.33. It is her second film, rated between 
25 and 49 in second best movie overall, coming in behind Avengers, Age of Ultron, and ahead of The Dark Tower. Claudia Kim uh, plays the role of... What's their character's name? Oh, well, that's a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> Claudia Kim is a friend of Ezra Miller's character. They're seen together uh, after taking refuge in like a circus thing. And uh, yeah, didn't didn't like that at all. I think that was uh, felt very solo, and uh, you all know I hated solo, so it felt very like solo. Next up is Allison Sudel. This is her second film credit. Drops her average film rate to a 46. It is her only film rate between 25 and 49, and second best movie overall, coming behind the first Fantastic Beasts. It drops her value to a negative one. Her score to a 22, and she is ranked 4,333rd overall, one spot behind. Vince Vaughn, and one spot ahead of Rob Moran. Alison Sudol as Queenie is great in the first movie. Love her in the first movie. And she's good in this one, too. Except, um, then she's not. And I don't understand it. Again, plot, contrivances, I don't know, bad writing, bad writing. Next up is Jessica Williams. This is her fourth film credit. Drops her average film rating to a 36.25. It is her second film, rated between 25 and 49, and second best movie overall. Coming in behind the incredible Jessica James and ahead of Delivery Man. It drops her value to a negative 3.5, her score to a 20.67, and her rank to 4,421st overall. One spot behind Tuppence Middleton and one spot ahead of Lana Condor. Uh, Jessica Williams, who plays, uh, she plays Eulalie Hicks, Eulalie Hicks, um, yeah, she's like barely in the movie, uh, you know, these, it's, it's a Harry Potter franchise, so it's, it's one of those things where you just want to be in it, to be in it kind of thing. Uh, next up is Callum Turner. This is his fourth film credit draw. Increases his average film rating to a 28.25. It is his only film rated between 25 and 49 and second best movie overall. Coming in behind Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and ahead of Assassin's Creed. It drops his value to a negative 5. His score to a 13.83 and he is ranked 4,657th overall. One spot behind Megalyn Echikunwoke. Echikunwoke. I guess, and one spot ahead of Missy Peregrim. Uh, Callum Turner, who plays Theseus Scamander, who plays Newt's brother. Uh, his entire involvement felt like Percy um, in a bad way. Like Percy Weasley in the Harry Potter films, very minor character, generally speaking. Uh, he has a small purpose and never steps over that those bounds. This Callum Turner totally felt unnecessary. I don't know if we even hear about Theseus in the first book movie, uh, but I also, again, another character I don't think needed to be in this movie. Next up is Olafur Dari Olafsson. This is his seventh film credit. Uh, increases his average film rating to a 27 even. It is his fifth film rated between 25 and 49 and fourth best movie overall. Coming in behind... Another film from this year, The Meg, and ahead of another film from this year, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Uh, it drops his value to a negative 9, his score to a 12, and he is ranked 4,702nd overall. Uh, he is 
Skender. I don't I don't recognize the character by the name. And I don't know. He's a big Icelandic gentleman. Skender. I'm not sure. Those are all the actors in the movie, yes. Um, not all of them, but there, there are more, but those are the principal ones uh, that are recognizable by their name. There are other characters, uh, including um, Kevin Guthrie has Abernathy. Uh, there's, I believe Cornell John is Arnold Guzman. Is that the guy? That's not the right guy. There's another guy who has a sort of central role, and I don't know his name. I don't see it on here. Anyway, he only served to convolute the plot, in my opinion. Most of them did. It's just how the film worked. Uh, moving on. Mm, let's see. Uh, Fantastic Beats of the Crimes of Grindelwald. I give it a 33. It's from 2018. It is an uh, adventure movie and it is a fantasy movie. Drops the average rating of adventure movies to 50.93. Fantasy to 51.66. It does pass the Bechdel test. Um, which is a thing. Uh, increasing the, uh, the average score of Bechdel test for, on the Bechdel test for everything to 1.42. It is PG-13. PG-13. Uh... No academic, no Academy Awards are going to be coming. No Circle of Film Awards at all. Not the best picture. Moving on to the year, it's the 267th film of the year that I've seen, and it is one of the 1,702 films that I've seen in the calendar year of 2018. Uh, it drops the average rating of those of 2018 films to 42.88. It drops the tomato meter to 60.72. It is the 40th adventure film and 32nd fantasy film. It is a bad film, making it the 151st bad film to be released in 2018 that I've seen, lowering the ratio of good to bad films to 0.48. As a three on the Bechtel test, it is part of the 53.56% of films that have achieved that score, which is fairly good. It is a sev the 70th PG-13 film that I've seen this year, according to the MPAA ratings. Uh, which is still a far cry from the number of films I've seen rated R, which is 115. Finally, it is a th film rated 33. It is one of the 71 films that has received a score of 33 from me. Uh, looking at other films from 2018 that have gotten the same score, there are a couple, including Gringo. Endgame, which is a short documentary, uh, 22 July, which I was very thumbs down on. Uh, if we want to go back to 2017, films that have been getting, that got the rating of 33 include Chappaquiddick, XX, Like Me, Despicable Me 3, and The Last Word. Um, your mileage may vary. Uh, I'm sure there are people that enjoy this movie quite a bit, and that's great. I'm super happy for them. I didn't, and I think it's pretty bad. So I'm sure I'll be. I, I will definitely be there for the next one if slash when it comes out. But for now, I I'm pretty pretty down on this franchise. 
And uh, my suggestion would be to find a new director. I, uh, and and definitely have get somebody else to write with JK because she worked so much better when she had help. Um, you know, Steve Cloves, who wrote most of the book, most of the films with her input, you know, was could at least make most things you know legible and understandable. That being said. Um, that's it for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Thumbs down, guys. Thumbs down. Um, thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, I hope I didn't stomp all over your favorite movie. If you would... Um... Yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you, and now the outro. Courtesy of Meg Berquist. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to listen to more episodes, you can find this podcast at circleoffilm.com or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. If you'd like to follow Ryan on Twitter, you can find him at circleoffilm or contact him through email at circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash circleoffilm for as little as eight cents an episode. Thank you again for listening and have a week. So long. I know she'll never leave me Even as she fails